Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Liu. Um, joining me on this week's episode is a uh, live call-in show co-host, Josh Hart. Josh, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right, Will. How are you? You know, I'm, I don't know. I've been doing a lot of thinking, I guess, just because it's a time to kind of do a lot of thinking because, you know, I mean, when you cover sports and stuff like that, like you just, I mean, when you follow sports too, you just fall into sort of like a pattern, right? You know kind of what everything's supposed to be, kind of get a good rhythm in terms of like, this is when the games are, this is what the focus on, stuff like that. Like it, that almost happens without thinking. And I think, you know, when sports actually stop, you know, you, you, you take this time to go back and reflect and you take this time to like, just think about what's going on. And there's a lot going on, Josh. Um, first of all, I, I want to ask you, like, how are you feeling personally? Are you good? Are you okay? It's, it's a lot, I'm sure, for, for you to take in. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, uh, whenever stories like the list when happen, um, as they seem to happen every so often, my mind goes back to um, late August of 2005. I was... Uh, just turned 13 years old and uh, Hurricane Katrina happened. It's actually going to be the 15th anniversary of the levees breaking in uh, Katrina on tomorrow morning on the 28th. Um, and I always go back to that, that time because it was the, the very first time in my life that um, the, the world and the experiences of, of black people opened up to me uh, this way. That um, my life and the, the, the black people that I grew up around weren't just my uh, family members and relatives and neighbors in Toronto or the south side of Chicago where I spent many of my summers growing up um, at my aunt's house with my grandmother. Um, but I was a, a part of a people that spanned this continent um, who had these similar experiences of uh, tremendous prov- poverty, uh, tremendous grief, uh, tremendous frustration, um, fear, and uh, this this feeling of not belonging to the place that we'd made home. And I've been returning to that time in my life, um, especially these last few days. Um, and it's not an unfamiliar place. I, like many others, have returned to these thoughts time and time and time again. Um, but that's where my mind's been at. Um, again. And, and feeling the levees break as they did uh, 15 years ago and as they did uh, yesterday afternoon um, is a familiar, if uh, discomforting place, as always. So that's where my mind that will. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was discussing this um, uh, with my partner earlier today. Um, and the way they described it is sort of, you know, it's 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 like PTSD. Um, you know, I don't want to trivialize and draw the comparison to be exactly because I don't know if it's exactly the same. But you know, when you see these videos of people getting, of, of specifically black people um, at the hands of police, um, just over and over again, uh, you know, 
I mean, pretty much like, you know, week after week, month after month, like it's, it's like PTSD. Like you, you, you don't ask to see these things and, you know, I'm obviously not a black person, but um, it's traumatizing just to see someone lose their life on camera like that. Like just period. It's, it's so graphic. It's so violent. Um, And you know, it, it, it happens just over and over again. And, you know, it's happened um, unfortunately again this time, uh, you know, uh, Jacob Blake in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, he is, uh, during an arrest, he gets shot seven times in the back by a white police officer. This is on August 23rd, uh, I guess last weekend. Um, uh, Jacob Blake, he's still alive. Um, actually, I just read a headline that said that he's been cuffed to his hospital bed somehow, which is just, again, unspeakably cruel. Um, especially given the fact that he has apparently been become paralyzed, uh, according Man to who's yeah, yeah, from the waist down, yeah, um, yeah. And so you know this happens again, and you know I think for NBA players, you know a, a lot of things have happened for NBA players, right? And I just want to maybe set the context here in case anyone somehow has not followed it or has not been online for the last like week. Um, you know, you have Chris Paul talking about it after OKC comes back with a great win. You have LeBron talking about it. Um, you know, you have Doc Rivers and, and just so many people have, have spoken out about this. And then, you know, for the Raptors specifically, they had no practice on Monday. Um, they, they had practice on Tuesday with media availability. Um, Fred VanVleet and Norman Powell spoke to the media uh, about what was going on and their feelings. And, you know, they were obviously frustrated, upset, like, um, angry and um, sort of trying to keep their composure um, because it's such a difficult topic to speak about. And they had a lot to say. They were very open. Uh, and they also did a lot of that emotional work to uh, to sort of access those um, feelings and sort of um, do so publicly, which is not easy. And then, of course, Nick Nurse spoke as well. You know, they talked about then about the potential of, uh, uh, you know, potentially boycotting or striking a game. Um you know, and then on Wednesday, the Raptors had another practice this time. It was supposed to be, at least from the PR team, they said it was supposed to be Pascal, Serge, uh, Kyle, and uh, Nick Nurse speaking. It turned out to, um, you know, Nick Nurse and Pascal spoke. Uh, I guess Serge and Kyle uh, were not able to uh, to speak with the media, but, you know, kind of the same deal. You know, they discussed it a lot more. And then later that day on Wednesday, the Milwaukee Bucks made the sort of, a, I mean, historic decision, especially historic in the scope of the NBA. Because absolutely historic. Absolutely historic decision. Um, the Bucks players, uh, although it was not necessarily planned, but uh, they decided to sit out the game and they were willing to forfeit the playoff game uh, against the Orlando Magic. And that led to the game being, um, I guess, postponed would be the best word for it. Um, but that game essentially was canceled. Uh, you know, the, the Magic... Uh, you know, walked off the floor. And then later on, you have games between what OKC and Houston that was canceled. You have games between the Lakers and Portland, same deal. And then of course you have it across sports, like uh, MLB, uh, WNBA uh, and MLS. Uh, and, and even in cases like uh, Naomi Osaka in, in tennis withdrawing, although she has since uh, re-entered. Um, and then, yeah, now it's, it's Thursday where we're recording this. And um I guess the players have met and they have uh, agreed to come back, but 
Um, I just want to circle back to you. Like, what was your first reaction to hearing the fact that the players may go on strike and then when the players actually uh, went through and followed up on it? Um, it's, it was unbelievable, uh, but it seemed also inevitable. It was like being told the sky is going to be or like pink when you walk outside tomorrow and really believing it was going to be that way because, you know, going into this, the bubble, the restart, the um, considerations the NBA made to have uh, players have uh, messages on their back and use their uh, media availability to discuss issues that were close to them felt like a sea change, even compared to what we had before. Um, The NBA recanting on its position that players would stand during the playing of the national anthems, all of those things, felt like, you know, significant changes. And then for the players to be so bold as to say, you know, we are considering not playing and then to see it happen, it was um, like, uh, like unbelievable. Um, And yeah, it just sort of felt like a, um, a response that matched the sort of um, as, as, as amazing and inevitable feeling as it was to see the players, um, not show up to play. It was kind of that same feeling when you saw the footage of Jacob Blake being shot. That was unbelievable. Again, we're seeing this, um, but but inevitable. So it felt like something that was in a long time coming, um, but something that I don't know if I ever truly believed I would see. And um, I couldn't be prouder of the guys who, and, and the men and the women um, who took it on themselves to take the risk of not showing up. You know, there's, there are going to be ramifications that um, change the trajectory of these guys' careers. It's, I I don't think that we know what that looks like, but it's undeniable. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're like, they're as as super heroic as these guys look when they're playing their character in these last few days has, has, has matched that it's um, yeah. Couldn't be prouder of George Hill. You know, the, I think we can all forget about game one. In 2018 now, um, Giannis, the uh, Chris Paul, uh, thinking back to Katrina and Chris Paul playing that year mm-hmm. um, outside of New Orleans and in Oklahoma City. And there's, again, that sort of, also, Chris Paul's been in the league for a long time. But uh, thinking back to that time, that like Oklahoma City and Houston were two cities that many of the uh, Black people who survived Katrina were displaced to mm-hmm. um, to live because they were... Uh, nearby cities where these people could find homes. And it was just like, it, yeah, it's this unbelievably moving day. Um, yeah. And, and, and the felt, the feeling I had was, was pride and surprise <laughs> that, that part, that part too. Um, seeing uh, the Bucks closed locker room footage all, all afternoon while they were preparing to uh, leave their locker room and make their statement while trying to get in touch with the attorney general was like, I don't know. It felt, it felt like, it felt like unbelievable. How about you? How how did you react as you sort of saw this news play out from, from your home? Like many of us. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have to admit, um, I was asked a lot about sort of, you know, um, do you think they will actually, um, boycott or they'll actually strike. And I thought, you know, I think we had a discussion about this and my, my thought was, you know, it's just such a short timeline to do it. Um, games are coming up every day, obviously. 
Um, you obviously, you need to have a, at least my thought was you need to have a game plan. You need to have a list of the bands and then uh, coordinate the whole effort and then do it. And, um, you know, I think one, I think that kind of spoke from a position of privilege and in, in that, in that uh, spot, just because, you know, in thinking back, like when you're frustrated, when you're upset, like, you know, I, I think really at that moment, I really empathize for the players, you know, um, they were trying to, there was a lot of reporters, obviously, in the NBA, a lot of reporters inside the bubble trying to explain what's going on, trying to bridge the information gap. And a lot of it was kind of just explaining, like, look, this is not – this shouldn't be surprising to anyone, I think, um, especially when you look at the reality that the players are living in, right? We're talking about people that have been away from their families for over a month, trapped in one spot. Now, it's a, it's a nice spot. Food's there, you know, whatever. They have amenities. Like, we get it, right? But, like, come on, man. Have you spent a month in a hotel before? It's not fun. Um you know, they, you know, they have been there and, you know, they have been making every single effort possible. Um, the players have in terms of trying to affect change, trying to um, not only necessarily, I mean, in every, every form of change, right? Like, you know, we're talking about people, uh, players going to protest. We saw Kyle Lowry in the streets protesting as part of the, um, the Black Lives Matter protests in Philadelphia. Um, you know, we, we've seen players, uh, you know, try to raise funds like Norman Powell has, uh, Fred Van Vliet, obviously these guys have personal clothing lines. They're trying to raise funds. They're trying to, you know, um, engage in action. You know, we're seeing, you know, players, uh, even just go through the emotional labor of like having to express the, uh, their experiences, share their sort of, um, experiences and, and very, very, at times, very traumatic experiences, um, to the media and to the press. And, and, and so it could, you know, service their, their the fans and sort of get their message out. And, and after doing all this work to see that, and of course to see how gruesome it was, like the situation is there's this, there's this man being arrested first off in front of his kids, but then shot seven times um, in front of his children. And I feel like, you know, for so many players, they have kids, um, you know, you don't even necessarily need to have kids to empathize with that, but um, it, it was just such a heavy and, um, emotional burden that I totally understand the players basically just saying, you know, it wasn't necessarily even a strike. We don't necessarily even need to have a whole game plan. We don't need to have a whole timeline, everything like that. We are just tired. This is an exhausting day. We cannot do this right now. It's ridiculous to go out there right now and to play basketball based on their current state and based on what they're dealing with. And even if it is just for one or two days to sort of recenter everything, to refocus their efforts, to at least even just get one or two days off, um, you know, I saw what Jared Kushner was was basically poking fun at LeBron this um, about sort of oh, having the luxury of taking a day off. Like, yeah, he should have the luxury of taking a day off, man. You know how heavy that is to deal with. And so I was, yeah. I mostly just felt sympathetic, you know, and I felt really bad for the players um, that they had to go through all this. So, yeah. Um, so okay, so the day after, um, obviously there were reports coming out all throughout the night and Wednesday. Thursday morning, it was announced that the players have decided to resume the playoffs and that the playoffs could resume as early as the weekend. What were your thoughts first off on the players coming back to the restart? Did you feel any ways about it? I support players and the decisions that are going to be weird. It's going to be very weird, um, especially to come back so soon. Because, I don't know, I can't imagine Stan Van Gundy on the call saying, well, you know, after... We've not played since Wednesday for this gigantic historic occasion that's 
cause reflection around the sports world. Um, let's talk about uh, why Chris Middleton is uh, like 0 for 7 in the first quarter. It's just going to mm-hmm. be strange. It's not going to feel quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I trust the players to, to, to make the most of it and understand that it's their it, – it is ultimately their careers and their work experience that is being determined. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that as the players come back, they're going to be um, really tangible and really clear ways to continue to support the social causes, um, players and coaches and um, team, other team officials want to push mm-hmm. um, with like money and with resources and attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that the kind of pressure the NBA seen that they can push on owners um, persists. And I hope that there, that means that we hear announcements of um, additional funds being released through the NBA to causes, you know, mm-hmm. we've many people have compared it to one uh, minimum, one uh, league minimum salary per team for a decade. Yep. Uh, when put into those terms, uh, it does seem like the NBA could do a, a lot more and, I think we'll have to, we'll be faced with the challenge to do a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I hope that, uh, I, I don't think, I'm not sure if tomorrow is realistic, but um, Saturday or whenever the games come back, that that it comes with new um, new ideas, good, big ideas for how, because that's the thing that we've seen, like this coronavirus and everything about the world in 2020 has shown us that big ideas are, are possible. The idea that you could say, no, we're not playing basketball today um, on a full slate of uh, playoff games mm-hmm. was unthinkable last year or even last month. We can now dream bigger. And I hope that, um, yeah, those who are responsible with dreaming things up now are, are really pushing the limits on what they think is possible. Because I, I, I believe them. I believe they'll figure out some great things. How about you? What do you think happens? Or when do, you, do you think games are back Friday, Saturday? Like that's what the league said they hope to hope to do. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, this I think this is a, a, a deeper conversation. I kind of want to get into it in terms of like mm-hmm. what can I expect from the players? What's right for me to expect from the players? Uh, what responsibility am I putting onto them? And I feel like that's not necessarily fair. Um, but I, I think you know what I saw was there was this moment where they had because they have stopped playing, they had this incredible amount of leverage just as a labor force. And um, obviously without the NBA players, there is no NBA product, period. And if you think about actually what NBA teams and, and owners are providing at this point, you're not providing the, the, the you know, there's, it's not like you're, you have 30 arenas and, you know, all that stuff is happening. I guess 29 with the, the Staples Center being shared, but um you know, like you're not providing out of that stuff. You're not providing um, the infrastructure to, you know, um, have concession stands and all these other things. You're not, you know, the whole infrastructure around marketing and everything like that. Like um, it's mostly just the labor of the players and the players had taken that off the table. They, they stopped playing and, um, you know, they had this opportunity there where you have to recognize that that leverage is, is huge and they stopped play. And then they got together to discuss what are the next steps. And, you know, obviously we don't know exactly what went on in that meeting. There's obviously been a lot of reporting um, and I guess a lot of leaking as well, but um, essentially it seems like the players sort of got right back together and um, I guess voted to continue playing, which is not surprising, I guess, because the players essentially voted to continue playing, um, you know, 
uh, back in May, April, May. Exactly. June, when this when the same issue happened before, right? Um, but at the same time, I thought, you know what, this is a great opportunity because I think the owners are very, very willing to um, not only support the movement, I guess, from a publicity standpoint, but also support the movement in the sense that you know this is a huge moment and. You know, as as Fred Van Vliet says, you know, sometimes you got to put your nuts on the line. Like that, you by stopping playing, you have put the owners' nuts on the line. And um, you know, I will see what their what their demands are going to be and, and what they come up with. But um, it was a little surprising, though. I, I really was anticipating, like you know, even if the play comes back, like give it a, like a week or something, just to take your time with something like this, right? But it it I, I guess the speed at which it was it was sort of determined that the play will come back is is a little jarring even in like a 24 7 news cycle you don't expect it to come full circle in the span of like 24 hours and that was surprising yeah and i yeah but was it like it seemed like there was that uh meeting where the players were content to like suspend uh wednesday's games and then lebron james and Kawhi leonard said we're not coming back it's still need answers there i guess Mm -hmm. but then the rest of the players were I guess pretty committed to finishing the season. Um, they're all there. It's it, there is the incentive to finish what you started, and I can't blame them guys for. Yeah, I, I the the twenty four hour turnaround was quite surprising. Um, oh, to be a fly on the wall of that uh, meeting this this morning, I guess. I was gonna say, man. I mean, Woj Shams. I know one of those guys were in there with a uh, live stream, you know, watching, or maybe yeah. Just... How do they have so much? Um. Honestly, I feel like some players are probably just like turning on their phone, like you know, like just calling in, <laughs> and like essentially you could hear through that. Um, I don't know, man, but uh, they seem to have every single detail. Uh, and um, obviously, there's what's the entire NBA in there. It's not surprising that would, some of this stuff will leak out. Um, it always yeah. is interesting to me too, like, how the stuff leaks out too, because you you saw on the overnight like since there was such a rush to get information out there, there was so much stuff that was conflicting and so much stuff that was wrong. You know, reports were like, Oh, LeBron and uh, the, the Lakers and Clippers walked out. And then they're like, Oh, but they, you know, they walked back in and LeBron was like do, trying to do all this. And, and LeBron was voting to cancel the season. But then LeBron was also um, the leading figure in terms of getting everyone back together. And it's like, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what the purpose of the leaks are. It's too much is happening at once. Kind of just went to sleep and uh, read about it in the morning, I guess. But um, yeah, I think, you know, one thing that's really been interesting to me is sort of seeing the discussion that's that's gone on with um, people having opinions on what the athletes are doing and specifically in terms of what social causes. And I guess to me, some of it didn't fully sit right because I, I think people have this natural relationship to the players where they root for a team, that player plays for their team. They, the, uh you know, and then they're sort of rooting for the player and that's sort of that relationship. But, you know, w- when that happens, you're like you're not necessarily rooting for the person, like the humanity is, some, I guess, easily overlooked, really. It's really just about the jersey and, and who's in it. Obviously, you can root for people and stuff like that. I'm not saying that, that these are mutually exclusive, but I feel like that's a lot of the relationship. And I felt like watching it play out, it almost seemed like instead of teams or whatever, people were just putting on essentially their, I don't know, I guess political views or um views on society as a whole and sort of putting that onto the players and now you know there's just i've seen some people judge the players for making their decision and basically feeling like they have a say 
You know what I mean? Like, just like how I, I feel like I have a say, quote unquote, of like how Kyle Irish should guard a pick and roll. It, it felt like p- people were taking that same approach towards how players should react to what's going on and what, so, like, I guess, societal role that they should play and what responsibility they carried. And that just didn't sit right with me. I don't know. I, what about you? I mean, what about seeing the, the fall, the fallout for all this and sort of how people are reacting um, to basically yeah. black athletes making decisions about their lives. And of course um, how that affects uh, other black people. Yeah. It's, it's, int- it's, uh, it's complicated, I guess. Um like one of the ideas that I've been struggling with is um, why certain, like, I think the, one of the, the challenges that we saw was media members looking at players as their peers um, and people with the same motivations that they would have um, while players worked hard to make it very clear that they will often have very different motivations than the people who cover the league. And that comes from some of the um, problems that people talk about diversity in newsrooms, yada, yada, yada. And we can get into that, not today. Um, but I think no, I, no we'll, we'll get into that, actually. That... <laughs> I, I, I'd very much well, like to get into this whole pyramid of things. <laughs> the pyramid of factuals? Um, I see the challenge um, is, yeah, it, it's around that idea that there, the motivations that – um, and the backgrounds that some of these uh, league journalists who cover the league may not match the backgrounds of these people who play in the league. And that is a big challenge. It's one that has um, very big resistors to um, diversifying newsrooms. Like we, we they're, they're obvious and very apparent, but um, I don't know. I don't like if the, if it sounds like the only solution is, um, bringing more diverse voices into the, these rooms that cover these players. And um, I also think that given the, uh, the, the other side of the guys who sort of like the Will Canes of the world, um, I, I don't need to <laughs> pull punches there. I think on the other side of that is are guys who say, well, you know, I'm just some white guy from the Midwest or the middle of any country. And I don't have uh, much of a voice here. And I think that's also a, a dereliction of your duty. Um, if you want to cover and tell stories of um, NBA athletes, you are uh, a participant in black life because these are some of the most noteworthy and famous and influential black people in, in the world. And to ignore that part of the story is, or to say you have no place in telling that part of the story is, um, is a cop out. And it's, it's one that like people, I think, more now more than ever take notice of do you have that same do you feel that same way uh yeah i mean you know i think this this gets to obviously the um the media aspect of it and i think you know that's some frustration that i've seen um fred van bleach share and i've seen malcolm miller share that on twitter as well in terms of just like it, it feels like deja vu for these for the for the athletes who have to a do the work to i mean honestly in this case they're trying to do the work to avoid and prevent like uh black people from being shot by the police like so that's that's just the starters but then in addition to actually actively doing the work actually actively putting their money on the line uh and actually you know um you know uh i guess spilling their emotions 
on camera so that people can get a headline. Um, they have to do it over and over again to people who it feels like it, they don't necessarily engage with the story, even yeah. if sometimes they're the ones writing the story or the ones that are producing or, or narrating or whatever with the story. And that's the part where I think Fred, you know, he was able to, in that interview that he did um, on Tuesday, he, he flipped that question onto yeah. the reporters. And, he, you know, the reporters are trying to ask him, like, hey, um, you know, what do you think uh, about uh, when you watch this um, this honestly gruesome video of um of jacob blake and he flipped it onto the reporter and you can tell sort of the apprehension and sort of the um i I don't know just the it it just wasn't articulate you know what i mean like people who are literally trained and professionally are there day to day to speak to write to be articulate to be on video to be on on radio every every single platform all of a sudden, vocational are, interlocutors are like are stumbling over the words. And, very, you know, very basic questions, right? Yeah. Of how do you feel when you see something like this? And of course, it's difficult to express it, but at the same time, you can kind of tell what that answer kind of went nowhere. And my point of this is just for uh, you know because there's just such a big disparity in terms of the people who cover the game of basketball don't look like the people who are playing the game of basketball. That disconnect leads to a situation where a lot of people who cover the media uh, cover the game ask these questions and then get these quotes they write the story and then they go home and that's it's just that's just it it's just a story they it doesn't relate to it with yeah exactly yeah and and that's and i guess that's the part where i think the players pick up on that because it's not necessarily just media it's it's also fans because the majority of fans who followed the nba are also not people that look like the the, the nba players themselves and so they don't share these same issues. They don't feel them firsthand. Maybe they don't even feel them secondhand or thirdhand. And again, it's just a story for them. And it's, I mean, it's, I don't know what to do really about that, but it is just an unfortunate reality. And I'm sure for players, I mean, on top of the fact that they feel A, agitated that they've been in the bubble for months, yep. and B, that there's a global pandemic going on. And see, there's like a very, very important time in their career in terms of, you know, how much they got to play in terms of like the importance of their games. And then see, you know, as as black men having to watch uh, a black father get shot in front of his children by police, then asked about it kind of disingenuously by the media. And of course, in that moment, I'd be pissed. I mean, I don't know how Fred and Norm weren't more pissed when they are asked about this, you know? Yeah. And it's a credit to. It's a credit to these players and. Yeah, I'm not sure just how it's solved because it's it's complicated and there's um, there there is something to be said about uh, players being asked to um, engage with these topics in the first place. But it on the on the other side, we, I agree with you that the people that they're engaging with these stories along with in these, they're interlocutors, the people mm-hmm. that help tell their stories in the media need to um, prove a, a amount of care and engagement and sincerity with the ideas that these players are asking them to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that great video of uh, Jacob Blake's sister asking for all of us to think of him as a father and to sit, think of him as a cousin, to think of him as a son, um, and to know him as a human um, and to let that idea marinate to um, a hu- he's a human life. And the, the reason that all of these players are um, as incest and as committed to action is because they 
that humanity resonates with them. And that's sort of back to that idea I brought up at the beginning of this call. It was when I was 13 years old and seeing dead black bodies floating in the waters in New Orleans that I truly understood that my black life was a part of this broader black life that, um, you know, people who like that look like me were brought to this continent and spread all over it and are connected in, in a way that I, I still struggle to understand in, at times, but um, seeing the, these videos that are on my phone seemingly every summer, um, it, 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 it is a very unique experience and it's one that if you are going to engage with it at all, you need to um, do so very sincerely because it's real, real stuff. It's real life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not just like, I need to ask these questions. It's not like asking like, Hey, what did you see on that pick and roll? Exactly. I want to attack it next night. And yes, it's difficult to be, a sports reporter, whatever. But if the idea that is so important and you hear shared by all these guys is building these relationships with these guys or what means the most to them, you can't, you have to show up then you can't, you can't um, fail to show up for them as people in these moments where um, if you haven't, it hasn't been very abundantly clear already. Um, mm-hmm. Now more, now more so than ever, these guys are hurting. These guys are deeply affected by the things that they are seeing. They are not able to hug their wives and their girlfriends or their children or their moms or dads or grandmas or grandpas mm-hmm. because they are in on a campus in Orlando for our entertainment. We can do as well to treat them with the sincerity, um, concern, and, and, and heartfelt questions that would seem appropriate. It's yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to get too um, yeah. uh, tweaked. No, I mean, but it's totally it's totally understandable. It's like it, it's you know what it is. It's a lot of work. But if you didn't, if you came to that story or you came to that media or Zoom call or whatever with that, these kind of questions in mind and these sort of thoughts, and you were unprepared, like that's what that means is the gap is just privilege. Like that's that's what it is. You've never acknowledged yeah. the privilege. You never under, acknowledged truly what that means and sort of worked through it. And that's. I guess that's okay, I guess. But, I mean, it's when it's in your face every day, right? Essentially, the players gave everybody a chance to think about it, right? Okay, maybe you've gone through your whole life without thinking about, you know, uh, systemic racism and, and anti-black racism specifically. Um, okay, but there's this whole global movement going on. There's a great chance right here to educate yourself. You have resources on your – you see it, resources everywhere you look, right, and, and educational purposes. And then when you – when it happens again and, and, and you know – you know, it's, it's been what, three months, yeah. two, three months. And then you're asking the same questions. You're taking the same approach. I'm sure people are going to be enraged. And it, it, you know, it was just, it's been uncomfortable to be in these calls. And I haven't asked a single question about this. It's um, because I just, it, it, it didn't really feel right. If it, it, it feels like asking a lot out of someone to do it. Yeah. Uh, but then when you see the, the vacuum and the questions being asked, which are essentially on the lines of, along the lines of, can you, share with can you tell us your experience and your traumas as a black person so that we can write a story about it and that you're just like you're not respecting the agency and and what's going on and and that's that's been really disheartening um to see that's been really gross to really 
take to be part of. And of course, you know, I think the players reach a breaking point, and I think the players have, have said that. I think I think Fred did a really good job of doing that. Yeah. You know, um, you know, Fred brought up the idea of a uh, you know of a boycott. Uh, you know, he broached that with the media, and I think he was the first one to do so. I think so as well. Um, Norm also talked about sort of just like, you know, it's it's a Norm had to talk about sort of the experience of, you know, his mom um, educating him about how to handle how to handle police situations and interactions, and um, especially at such an early age, being taught that and basically being told about the realities of the world uh, and how unfair it is. And um, I don't know, it's just a lot. But when you're when you're sitting there and, and wondering i mean the questions that you should be asking the players are just like are you okay how are you doing how can i help yeah where are you mentally how can we help you know what i mean because like i think sometimes players come to the media and they sit in that chair and the, the camera's on them and most times they are basketball players right most yeah. times they're, they're 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 there to talk about basketball whatever like you have to recognize sometimes that they're there as human beings i mean they're always there as human beings but especially now they're there as human beings and and that was just I mean, go back and watch some of the press conferences. It's it's uncomfortable and it's it's also important. But you know, yeah, um, yeah and then I think you know what, what I was trying to say earlier in terms of um, you know seeing sort of fans react because I think the fans are a pretty important factor in this too. Because I think a lot mm-hmm. of people see the players as an extension of their beliefs and sort of an extension of their, I guess, representation, and that's okay. That's I guess that's part of what the deal is with fandom, but. Um, on that extent, to sort of, uh, you know, for example, people wanting to advance um, l- political agendas or wanting to advance like um, labor movements, things like that. I get it. I totally understand. I, I, I share most of those same views. Um, but at the same time, to expect the players to not only necess- not only be the ones that are carrying the trauma of seeing all this happen and, and doing all the work to try to change it, but then also to um, sacrifice and you know, do things so that it aligns and supports your belief. That part's been really unfair too. I don't think the fans have been totally fair to the players either. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think that it's difficult. I think the conclusion that you and I have drawn is like, we trust these players to um, figure it out and to work out their engagement with these issues on the scale of them as professional athletes and um, I guess famous people. But mm-hmm we do need to understand that the onus for what happens next is on us. Yes. And how are we, how are we working through our own understanding um, of these issues? How are we educating ourselves? How are we empowering um, those causes that we wish to see empowered? Um, and that's, I think hopefully the challenge that the NBA puts before all of us is um, how do each of us become more engaged citizens and, and more engaged um, consumers of entertainment media um, so that, you know, it, it, it isn't the responsibility of these guys to figure out the game plan for how our society goes forward. They're, yeah, totally responsible for figuring out how the NBA goes forward. That's mm-hmm. their part of the world. Yeah. But you and I, how do we ensure that these values and these causes that are important to you and I um, figure into the work that we make? And we, we're not going to announce anything now, but we have plans for ensuring the issues that we think are important are supported. Um, and how do you, working at your uh, desk job that happens in your home, in, uh, working to support the causes that matter to you? Um, because at the end of the day, it is not the responsibility of, I don't know, Tobias Harris mm-hmm. um, to advance social justice. Uh, that is your responsibility. 
it is your responsibility to um, engage with uh, the government at your local, uh, federal, uh, provincial level. It is your responsibility to have difficult conversations with those close to you if they need to happen. It is your responsibility to give money and time to causes that uh, align with your values. Um, expecting that to be done by athletes is um, it's it's uh, it's a fool's errand, and it is unfair to them. Exactly, uh, I, it just it feels unfair, and the fact that they're they're doing it anyway is like if you look at someone like LeBron, right? LeBron gets picked on mercilessly. mercilessly He's one guy, man. Yeah. He is one man. Like you couldn't even write like a Superman comic hero like this, where he's the best player at his sport, at, essentially of all time. I mean, whatever debate, I don't care. It doesn't matter. One of the top three players at his position or in his sport all time. He does all this. He's also an actor. He's also opening schools. He's also um, paying for those schools. He's also lobbying to create uh, more access to voting, and he's trying to support a stronger democracy. And, you know, he's also trying to uh, use his platform to raise awareness and do all this. I mean, you, you wouldn't even write a fictitious character this way. It's not believable. And, and, the, yeah. and for LeBron to do all this and then people still criticize LeBron, I just think it's unfair. I get it, man. I mean, obviously, you know, lots of things are said about LeBron that's unfair. I'm on this podcast calling him the washed king in a basketball context, right? Like, it, it, part of it is what it is. But at the same time, I think especially in this one, it just – it feels so unfair. It felt like it was unfair, just like it was unfair when people were really chastising him and saying, wow, LeBron's not really an activist because he refused to comment on the situation in Hong Kong. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it somehow invalidated everything else that he did. Like somehow he wasn't creating uh, scholarships for an entire city to go through university and get and get education and provide GEDs for free to adults and their parents to um, you know, further their lives and their careers. Like it's just disingenuous. And, 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 you know, I guess a lot, that was a lot of the, you know, the, the talking point on the right, the Republican talking yeah. point, but now you kind of feel like the left talking point has also been the same of like, you know, LeBron didn't use this opportunity to support and, and further what their idea was of uh, a labor movement or, or what they wanted to see out of society. And I don't know, man, I, he should be, he's just, he's just trying to figure it out. And you know how hard yeah. it is to try to figure this out and trying to find um, what to do and what's right and try to settle that just a morally, but B then try to act on that. Like it's just, again, it's just, it, there's just a lack of sympathy and people are demanding a little bit too much. And yeah, it's sad to see. It's, it's a, it's a really sad situation. I feel bad for the players. I mean, they're in a, they're are, we're already in a very tough spot and they're in an only tougher spot now. Um, uh, one thing I also thought was interesting was sort of like the power dynamic in terms of the NBA. Like, for, so this is one of the few times the players have essentially threatened to lock out the owners. The owners have locked yeah. out the players many times. This is essentially the first time the players have done that to the owners. And I thought, you know, even honestly, I was talking to uh, another Raptors writer about this. Like, even if, you know, maybe uh, they don't ask for as much uh, this time around, I feel like, the groundwork has been set to that. Maybe the players can sort of use that threat and use that leverage and use that power. It's not even a threat. Just use that leverage um, more often in the future. Cause I kind of would like to see players locking the owners out for once. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, it's a, it's an absolutely massive idea and like a sea change that changes sports forever. Mm -hmm. um, and to quote um, Monique, I would like to see it. Um, it's going to be an unbelievable CBA negotiation that is like already determined. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I hope that what comes from this is a real understanding for the, um, the role that the NBA players have in making what is the NBA. And I, I think that, you know, I, I don't know what, what happens. I'm sure that both sides um, are thinking that they'll get to redraw the lines of what uh, basketball, pro basketball looks like in their own favor. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is undeniable, and I agree with you, is that players have risen in their power um, to rival owners, not necessarily, not just financially, but with the way that they're able to um, curry favor with the political class. Yeah. That the Milwaukee Bucks were from inside of their locker room trying to get in touch with elected officials in Wisconsin, um, taking a play out of Wes Eden's playbook. Um, the, oh. Their the owner of that team itself. I think that that idea that yeah, that a group of NBA players can can and will now get in touch with some of the most difficult to reach and powerful people in uh, in our society is great because that is going to bring um, going to bring to the table issues that may not be there right now, and that's exciting. It is really exciting, um, but honestly, at the same time, I also think that like. In a way, I do feel weirdly powerless. I mean, obviously, I'm not connected to the situation like that, but um, it does feel a little bit powerless in terms of just like, like how much how much power do the players necessarily have? Because even if you follow essentially what threat uh, what Fred um, laid out in that scenario, where um, wouldn't it be nice if the the Bucks team owner uh, you know lobbied government and, and and try to change things in Wisconsin or, or I guess in Minnesota and pretty much all over. And, and, you know, obviously we know these uh, ultra rich multi multi millionaires, sometimes billionaires um, obviously have access and, and reach and, and sway. Um, wouldn't it be nice for them to change these things? But even then I, I think about it, I'm just like, um, I mean, if you just think about systemic racism, I don't know what you can do to cure something like that. And even the players with as much platform and as much access and as much money and power. And then they have, I don't even know, how much they can do to ch- to change something like systemic racism. If you have hate in your heart and people have hate in the heart and they have, for some reason, be, uh, we're led to believe that one race of people uh, be- because of their skin color are superior to another race or other races. Like, th- I don't know what you can do with that, you know? And, and yeah. that's the part that's really scary. And I don't know what you can do with the fact that the States is a very violent country with a very violent history. And the fact that they have like 300 million guns just in the country, that's like yeah. one person, one gun per person. You know, and it's too, it's too many guns. It, it's 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 a it's you know, and I guess maybe that's just I guess I I don't think NBA players were expecting to change society, but at the same time, I, I kind of do feel like they were really disillusioned with how much they thought they could change and how much stayed the same. You know what I mean? Because when you watch Pascal's interviews and everything like that, they're just kind of talking about like you know what was all this for? Did it even matter? And I do feel bad yeah. for them, you know, in that way because that it, it has to be feel really draining to be powerless when you try your best and to have the same result happen again. What I, what I hope um, NBA players and um, all of us following their lead is understanding the power that we have as individuals and as a group um, to affect change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it's a tale as old as time, but I, I do believe that, you know, each and every one of us when committed to our goals and committed to, um, using what's in our hand to make the world a, a better place can achieve something. Um, 
And I hope that that is a lesson that was learned by uh, the NBA NBA players. And, and like we said earlier, that all of us, we, we understand a little bit more about how um, each and every one of us can do our best to get in touch with, you know, we saw it. The, the Milwaukee Bucks weren't able to get in touch with the attorney general that they were looking for for a number of hours. Um, if you and I were tried, it would probably take a number of weeks because we there's that uh, difference in power. But mm-hmm. understanding that, you know, you and I could spend our time um, trying to enti- get in touch with our local politicians or our regional politicians um, or community leaders or, or uh, business owners or whoever it is, that we all, each and every one of us has a little bit of, um, a little bit more power than we might, we might think. And we might have got out of bed believing yesterday that we have. And what I, I hope happens for many of us who saw and are watching what happens in Orlando is that we feel empowered to uh, raise our voices, make them heard. Um, Americans are talking about how it's very important to vote. And absolutely, it's mm-hmm. very important that um, and that's been a central message when the Washington Mystics were um, speaking at yesterday's game. They said, you know, remember to vote in November mm-hmm. and to um, complete the census so your voice can be heard. That's the idea. Um, the, Mil- the Milwaukee Bucks in that locker room raised their voice, and it's an example that we can all take. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I mean, it, it is it is an incredible moment, too. Just, just thinking yeah. about it, right? Like you're, you're never gonna forget a day like that where, it, it, you know, you're never gonna forget the days where things just go completely off script. And this one felt like it went off script, but then when you read it back and you kind of think back on it, it made complete sense that it, it went there. And, um, yeah, like you know, I'm, I'm happy the NBA took this decision. I'm, I'm very proud as an NBA consumer, as a, as a viewer, as someone who covers the game. Um, to see the players do it. And I, I was, you know, I'm, you know, in a, in a way, I know, I know I just talked about it. It's unfair to sort of put your beliefs on another person. Um, but at the same time, I can't lie that I do feel proud of the fact that, you know, the Raptors shared so many of the same beliefs um, that I do and that, you know, they were willing to make, you know, actions and they were able to take stands that, um, you know, that they went out the way to do that. I feel very proud of them to do so. And, you know, Again, it, it's just it's such a strange thing because you, you rarely see millionaires, or I guess even in the case of LeBron and maybe one or two other NBA players, like billionaires, maybe, right? To 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 take a social stand that is so close to um, the ones that I guess ordinary people face, marginalized people face. You don't think of millionaires as marginalized, but yep. the, the NBA and I guess athletics in general yep. is just is a rare space. And to see that they haven't necessarily lost their way, you know, maybe, you know, uh, there's not, maybe not a hundred percent, maybe there's some Michael Porter juniors and stuff like that and, and whatever. But uh, the fact that they haven't necessarily lost their way and lost their perspective is, is also genuinely cool. Cause I don't feel like, I feel like most other millionaires probably just voting, you know, conservatives so that they can pay less taxes and keep their millions. Like, and the NBA players are yeah. firmly, I don't know. I guess they firmly have their heads on, on straight, you know. Yeah, I, I, and I, I hate, I, I hate to go back to it. It's that idea that um, the universality of seeing people that look like you suffer never sits right. Mm-hmm. It connects you to the world in this way that uh, I believe is unique. Um, I, and I think that it's been, yeah, I agree with you. It's been inspiring to see. 
um, NBA players by and large stand up for our community, raise their voices, bend the National Basketball Association mm-hmm. um, towards justice this way and, yeah. and, and ensure that um, advancing this social cause will be a fixture in the league for the rest of our lives. There, it's not going away. Um, while you might not have Black Lives Matter painted on the court every game we watch next season or um, beyond it, there are go- there are ways in which you know the mission that was started with like Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the '60s and '70s continues through today and will only grow stronger. And that's like un- unbelievable to see. Yeah, um, and we're we're seeing that evolution take place and it seemed when we were like when we were really little that that was maybe going away from the nba and um the last uh decade or so has made it clear to me that that's a fixture and what whatever whatever the league looks like going forward yeah for sure um and it's and again it's you know the nba has plenty of reminders that you know um you know money fame all this other stuff does not it's not like a magic shield that, 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 you know, cloaks you away from these things. I mean, you think about like Maasai, literally Maasai, right? Everyone knows yeah. the story about what happened to Maasai. Like, Tabo Cephalosha is 36 years old and was like still a pretty decent three point shooter. Yeah. He was, um, a, he, was before, a, like, he was a good player, but I mean, if he yeah. wasn't a good player, even if it was just like a, a random dude, like, you know what I, I mean? Know he's like, I think he's still rostered by the Rockets, but he doesn't get like a ton of playing time. He was like a starter, like before, his incident with the New York police department. It's like the, yeah, these stories exist in the NBA. Yeah. And, and, you know, it just, it just, again, it, it should remind you that it's not, I don't know. You're, it's not a political issue for the players. That's, I think that's the thing that maybe they wanted. Uh, the last thing I really want to get off my chest is just like uh, wanting to stop police officers from systemically and repeatedly um, killing black people, unarmed black people, uh, and uh, and not un- not only killing and harming black people, but also getting away with it and having the legal system protect them and the justice system protect them and look the other way, is not a political issue for the NBA for players. It's not like oh I'm a I'm a I'm a Democrat so I want to support this. No, it's I'm a they're black people they want to survive and it's it's for their safety. And it's it's not a political issue. It may be a political issue for other people. I don't know why something like this would be politicized in the first place. It's really cynical, but it's not a political issue for the players. It's it's a it's a it's it's a personal issue. It's a human issue, and I don't know. I, I feel it's weird that it needs to be said, even you know. Yeah. But I think it does. So, well, um, you're going to you're going to be excited for uh, Raptor Celtics. Um, yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna you know yeah. support the guys, mm-hmm. um, and I'm gonna yeah cheer my heart out for the Raptors. And I and and that I think that's what the players would expect, and that's what um, I'm sure they're going to want just as much love and affection from their fan base going forward. And they'll probably need it because it's gonna be weird. It's mm-hmm. gonna be weird. Uh, what? There's another two months in the bubble before yeah before they're the champion crowned. Mm-hmm. It's been a weird two months. Well, we have a lot more basketball. Will yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we'll see. I mean, the, the world's very unpredictable right now. It's hard to look f- further into the future. 
you never know what's going to happen. But um, yeah, that's yeah. Just be a better person, man. Just just be a better person. Be more fair to people. Um, try to educate yourself. Try to get rid of some of your biases. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Raptors, Raptors, Celtics, baby. Can't wait. You know, we've always wanted this series. Now we have it in the middle of a, uh, a sweeping civil rights movement and also a uh, global pandemic. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm gonna come visit uh, you in the IRL in the next couple of days. All right. Yeah, that sounds great, man. Yeah. You made more donuts? What happened? No, I just I just want to see my friends. It's oh. been it's a tough week and I have not been out of the house much because yep. I don't know if you know this. Uh global pandemic. Yeah, that um, is true. Although, you know, recently I uh finally braved sitting on a patio, an outdoor patio. And you uh, think? it was weird to so it was like I went to like a tapas restaurant, like a Portuguese tapas restaurant, which is uh, a lot of great ones here around St. Clair. But um, yeah, uh, I essentially had to, after every little dish and every course and every like drink, I was like putting Purell in my hands and like I, the smell of Purell was like ruining the tapas a little bit, you know? So That sounds kind of kind of filthy dog. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it was, uh, I, I don't know. There's bigger issues than having this, you know, smell. Um, aloe, aloe vera, yeah. So, I don't know, man. Have you got? Have you been to Patio yet? What do you What do you say? Yeah, I went. I I've gone uh, to a couple. The first one was like great. I went to like a the burger place right across from from, the, from my apartment. Oh, was um, this, is this is this the one that was supposed to be the uh, one's destinations? Yes, <laughs> right. they're not in. Uh, they're not in Toronto. Um, the second time I went out to uh, some. I don't even know what the place was called, but some restaurant down by the lake. And uh, the first place was cool because they gave me like a single use cup. And the second place they handed me like, you know, those like Pepsi brand plastic cups that you get in like all of those Mm. chain restaurants. And I looked at them like, I don't, I don't know if I can drink from a cup, Mm. like a cup that is not. And it's like, I tried to, I tried not to use single use plastics, have a reusable bottle and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But, uh, uh, this the Rona. It's really made me uh, nervous around like cups other people wash. <laughs> I mean, maybe my hope is that you know eventually a vaccine is out. It's accessible. Everyone can get it, and we can kind of like put it into the past like with other things. But yeah. maybe with you know this improves hygiene standards going forward. You know, maybe I'm mean, I'm because I'm thinking like I'll probably just carry Purell on me going forward. Yeah, and, probably for the rest of your yeah and. I'll probably wear my masks when aged, I go on the subway. Like, you know, my it's not hands that bad. have aged ten years. It's yeah, that's the weird part. My Ooh. hands are like look so old now. Um, but I don't know. It is it is what it is. It's the right some, thing to do. Someone's got to put some isopropyl alcohol in um in in lotion. I feel <laughs> like that's a business opportunity. Free idea right there. Someone go make millions off this, and then donate it to uh, police reform initiatives. Right? Well, oh man. You know what? No more, no more police reform initiatives, man. Just defund them. All right, let's go. Yeah, just take that money away. Forget it, man. Um, yeah, you know, it's just it's it's a tough situation. It's a tough conversation, and it, you know, honestly, circling back to the beginning of this, like, you know, while I was sort of, I'll admit, I was uh, multitasking. Um, I was running a little bit behind on my um, Raptor Celtics preview coverage, and I was watching some video and grabbing some video and trying to you know put together the story. 
about how important it is for the Raptors to stop Jalen Brown and Kevin Walker and sort of puts together some clips and sort of how to guard them and stuff like that. Some like usual, you know, basketball stuff. And I'm listening to the press conferences on Tuesday and I'm just thinking like, bro, I'm a clown. Like, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? And I honestly, I couldn't bring myself up to like finish uh, what I was trying to write or, you know, finish the editing. Cause it's just like the players themselves, they, they, that's not where their minds were at. Like it's, it's hard to just be like, all right, well, Jalen Brown said, um, all these things, but also, you know, you want to force him to his left hand because he finishes that work that way. Like it just—it's just weird, you know what I mean? Like you, I can't get yeah, past th- the cognitive dissonance, and I can't compartmentalize these things anymore. And I'm yeah. sure it's even harder for the players, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll yeah, see. It, it'll be. Uh, I mean, the games—I I don't know when it's scheduled. I guess this weekend somewhere, but um, yeah. Yeah, I hope everybody stays safe, stays healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, stays patient for uh, whenever these guys decide to come back. Yep. It's up to them. It's their 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 jobs. You guys, uh, the rest of our listeners, have the luxury of going um, into their own jobs until then. Yeah, there you go. So um, please take care. Please uh, be a little bit more mindful. Um, try to support the players. I mean, find it in your heart to support the players. I don't think it's very hard to, but if, if you find it hard to, like find out why that's hard and try to work on that. And um, yeah, Josh, thanks for you know speaking as always. Listen to a live calling show next uh, Tuesday? Monday? Tuesday, Tuesday, September Monday. 1st. September 1st. We'll be back then, assuming well, there's I, basketball, I guess. I was going to say, yeah, we, we initially planned that for being right after um, game three of the Celtics series, but we have no idea when the schedule is. So, well, if they start on uh, whatever, we'll see. We'll let you know. We'll let you know. Yeah. Just just sit Stay by the phone. Now. Just sit by the phone. Just, just wait, you know? Uh, one last plug. Uh, you guys should watch the latest episode of Raptors group chat. Um, yep. It was very, very, very good. Um, very needed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Essential. Yeah, essential viewing. Um, yeah, Raptors group chat on Yahoo Sports Canada, the YouTube page. Um, you know, Alex, Iman, uh, Yasmin, and Sahal. Um, you know, it's a, it's a heavy subject, but honestly, just if you find it difficult to engage with, please just continue to try and think through it and get through it because it's very important. You're, and you're probably going to be a better person after doing it. So, absolutely. Um, yeah, well, uh, I'll speak to everybody when the Raptors play uh, another playoff game. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.